Hello, and welcome to our fifth episode of Talking with the Hawks. On this podcast, we talk about SEL, mental health, and other issues that affect staff and students here at Hotonia. Joining us today, we have an amazing guest, Mrs. Carol Beckerley, a Board of Education member with SEL experience. Good morning, Ms. Berkeley. How are you? I am well, thanks, Timothy. How are you? I'm pretty good. So we have a few questions for you today. Terrific. So one of the questions we have is, what is your job as one of the board members with SEL experience? Well, I am a board member, and I don't exactly have SEL experience, but what I do have is experience teaching in our district district. And from that, I know how important social emotional learning is because I saw it every day in the classroom. And if we don't have students who are socially, emotionally healthy, they can't learn. So my experience is that I learned how important SEL is when I was a teacher. Yes. So staying on the topic of SEL, can you define SEL in your own words? Well, the term itself is called social-emotional learning. Um, But what I think it it really is about is becoming um, aware of all of the ways we are healthy socially and emotionally, whether it's impulse control, whether it's anger management, whether it's um, uh, being an extrovert or an introvert, understanding the way that you um, can be healthy in the world mentally and um, emotionally. And it's a critical component to being able to learn, being able to succeed at work, everything. So social-emotional wellness is really the foundation of success for all of us in society. And we really have to pay attention to it in our schools. Yes. So how do you believe SEL has transformed the educational setting? When SEL is being, um, uh, what's the word, implemented throughout the building and everyone is practicing um, social-emotional wellness and restorative practices and trauma-informed practices, which are all aspects of social-emotional wellness, the building functions as a community, and you can feel it as soon as you walk through the door. And the truth is, I felt it when I walked through the door today at Hiltonia. Um, and 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 it is it allows every child to feel safe and calm and able to learn and it's critical for the educational setting because without it you can't learn and there's all kinds of science actually that demonstrates this there's scientists have done research on brain waves and when a child is socially emotionally stable the brain is in a place where it's calm And when there's trauma or other things that have a negative consequence on social-emotional wellness or a negative effect, the brain waves, like literally you can tell from a PET scan that um, students are unable to focus or stay calm or else they're um, withdrawn. But either way, they're not able to learn. Yes. So what are the pros of SEL? Well, it's kind of the same thing we've all been talking about. I mean, the pros of SEL is that um, for an education purposes, for educational purposes, um, we have to have healthy, socially socially and emotionally healthy students in order for them to be able to learn. 
But the pros are way beyond that. So if we can help our students become healthier socially and emotionally, they'll have better lives, they'll have better outcomes, they'll have better relationships, they'll do better at work. Um, they'll make better decisions during those tough times in your life when you're forced to make decisions as young adolescents and even as full-blown adults. Yes. So how do you believe SEL connects schools and families throughout the community? Um, I, I think that uh, I'm not so sure we're doing that um, as well as we could. Um, but when it's done really well, um, families, the, the school building functions as a community and the families are included in that community. And if we can really get our social-emotional learning and our restorative practices and our trauma-informed practices um, in, implemented um, fully and integrated into the life of the school, it will extend to the families. So um, they will, and, and part of it is about building community and part of it is about building trust. And when the families trust that we have their best, the best interests of their students at heart and that we are working hard to make them socially, emotionally well, they'll participate in the process, whether it's the fun things like a, you know, a fun fest or a pizza night or whether there's more serious things like discipline things or re needing to resolve conflicts. If we can get the families as part of our community and have health, healthy social and emotional learning at, um, as the value of our community, um, that's how families connect with schools and vice versa. Schools connect with families. Yes, I agree with your answer 100%. I believe there is a lot of room for improvement. Mm -hmm. so, you got to keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you believe SDL has made schools a better place to feel safe? Well... When students or anybody, any grown-up, anyone, are, are in a community, in a work environment, in any place where they believe they can trust the processes to be heard, to be validated, to be understood, um, you feel safe. And when you feel safe, you make better decisions because you're, I mean, there's science behind it. Your brain is not in a, a fight-or-flight um, mode where you're just making decisions out of fear, but you're making decisions that are thoughtful. And so it allows, if you have trust in the, that you will be treated fairly, it allows resolution and reconciliation rather than fighting or fleeing, which is the default when you don't feel safe. Yes. So I overheard you talking about mental health earlier mm -hmm. in the podcast. So how does social-emotional learning tie into mental health? Well, really, it's at its core because um, they're so closely connected. Social-emotional learning is, is the, and, and now it's becoming required by the state, is the understanding that um, social and emotional wellness is critical to learning. And so we need to treat it as a separate subject almost in order to make sure that our kids are learning that as well as learning reading, writing, and arithmetic. So the social-emotional learning is sort of the foundation to good mental health. When you're a student or an adult or anyone who's thoughtful about um, 
where you are in terms of your social and emotional wellness, that feeds into overall healthy mental health. And if you're struggling with mental health issues, a foundation in social emotional learning helps you heal or helps you um, cope or helps you um, manage depending on what other struggles you have with mental health or maybe helps you get through a rough spot in a way that would have been much harder without that as your foundation. So, for yes. example, if, if you have trauma at home um, and that's causing anxiety, sort of a simpler mental health problem than some others that could occur, um, when you come to school, if you know that you have a trusted community and a place of calm where you're able to be um, heard and listened to and you feel safe, that those skills will spill over into your home life. And you'll be able to carry those same skills and calmness and thoughtfulness, which will help you cope better without, with whatever's happening outside of school. Yes. So we were talking before the podcast about what SEL used to look like uh, and how you wanted to become a Board of Education member to improve it. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I've been saying for a while is that what we need to figure out as a district is what is the, I want to say secret sauce, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. What is the model that we need to use to figure out how to transform a building into a socially, emotionally supportive space that's fully um, operating with fidelity, trauma-informed practices, restorative practices, um, a social-emotional learning curriculum where students are, you know, actively um, assessed in where their strengths and weaknesses are and then are given instruction and um, opportunities to improve where they're struggling. So say a student has, you know, we do an assessment and determine that a student has impulse control problems. Well, then we have ways we can address that to help that student um, have better control over impulses. If another student is withdrawn, we can focus on that and help the student become less withdrawn based on social-emotional learning, um, restorative practices, and trauma-informed practices. But we have to figure out what combination of teachers, training, programming, daily curriculum we need to be able to do that for a whole building. And then once we've figured that out, we have to fund it, which is the school board's responsibility, come up with the money, and um, implement it, which is Dr. Disson's and her whole staff's community, in every building. But until we've figured out exactly how to do it, which is what, I'm, what I was talking about earlier, um, in terms of how many staff members, what kind of training, what kind of training the students need, and how to go about it, we can't figure out, we have to have a model so we can replicate the model. And that's kind of what I was talking about with Dr. Albright. Yes. So what do you believe the most important part of SEL is? Um, now, I, this is my belief, and I don't know that people who are actually um, more knowledgeable about the actual details of implementing a SEL program would agree, but from my experience in teaching um, high schoolers and elementary school students, the overriding um, 
element that's important is trust and relationship. And that's kind of baked into SEL, is that you have to create trusting relationships. Um, and it's not always that, you know, trusting relationship doesn't mean that you tell a student everything they do is perfect, but you've established that relationship so that when you have to provide correction or discipline or whatever, it's coming from a place of trust and relationship. So I think that goes hand in hand with um, really SEL is sort of a structured way to create that. And I think that's at the core of it. Yes. So how has SEL changed practices and policies in school? Um, I am not sure I have a solid answer for that. I think that what's happening is in some buildings um, we're doing it better than others. Um, I know we're the, at the district level we're becoming very serious about implementing PBIS, which has a strong SEL component, which PBIS stands for Positive Behavioral Intervention Supports. Um, so I think that's one way it's changed. Um, uh, but again, it sort of gets back to what I said earlier about we need to know what the model looks like because we can talk about implementing programs and use these fancy acronyms like PBIS, but unless we're really intentional about doing it well and measuring how we're doing it and providing the resources in terms of training and staff and social workers and counselors and um, intervention people in the buildings to help make it happen. Uh, we haven't actually achieved that. So I think the answer is SEL hasn't so much changed our practices across the district as it's changed it in certain buildings. And we need to focus on those buildings that are doing it well and then follow that model in other buildings. Yes. So how do you believe social-emotional learning has helped us recover from the pandemic? Uh, I'm not sure it, I can answer that in the past tense because I think we are still, certainly still recovering from the pandemic. And I would say we still haven't figured out all the ways we need and all the programming we need to make sure we do recover. But I think what I can say for sure is that SEL needs to be at the um, core of everything we do in terms of recovering from the pandemic. And I think we've learned that, and we're learning that every day. And in a way, it might just be a silver lining of the pandemic because we've needed to focus on SEL with laser-like precision for a long time. And I think the pandemic is leaving us with no choice but to do that. And that actually could be um, a silver lining. Yes. Um, because one thing I will say, and I know you guys have experienced this here in Hiltonia, and it's been true across the district, whatever trauma students were bringing to school before the plan pandemic, it's exponentially greater. And, in, and it's showing itself in all kinds of ways, you know, increased violence, but also increased absent rate in, um, you know, students who are more withdrawn, uh, students who are coming to school with um, greater burdens from stress at home because of uh, lack of resources, worried about um, things like, you know, rent and food and health of students and students who have lost family members from the pandemic, family members who were critical to the functioning of their family as well as, you know, 
people whom they loved. Um, so uh, the SEL, the recovering from the pandemic, I think we're just in the early stages of it and we're figuring it out and we need to be really intentional about it. And SEL, again, I think is critical to all of that. Yes. So what do you believe the future of social-emotional learning will look like in the educational system? Um, can I answer that question rather than what I believe as to what I hope? You can uh, do it either or. All right. Well, what I hope happens is that we elevate social-emotional learning and all of these other um, programming that I mentioned that are kind of at the foundation of it to be every bit as important as um, the pure academics, the curriculum, the reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I hope that for um, a couple of reasons. One is because I think it's the pathway to better learning. So our students will be more successful academically if they're healthier socially and emotionally. But also because you all are inheriting um, the 21st century, which is going to be a very different world that we don't even know exactly what it's going to look like yet compared to the world that all of us, well, especially me, because I'm on the older side, um, grew up in. And when we talk to people who are studying this and researching this, and just you kind of can tell this intuitively, a lot of those skills that come with social-emotional learning are going to be critical to your ability to be successful in a way that maybe they weren't as critical in previous generations. You know, for example, you might not be the healthiest socially-emotionally person, but if you were working in a factory every day, got up, went to the factory, came home, you could still, you know, lead a fairly successful and stable life, even if you weren't as healthy socially and emotionally. Those sorts of things and those sorts of jobs are fewer and farther between. And in order to be successful in the 21st century, you're going to need a lot of these social and emotional skills. And the district, this is one of the things I'm proudest about in terms of what the school board has done in the past two years. Um, we've created, um, well, we haven't created, the district has come up with through a lot of listening sessions and analyzing research and talking to families and talking to students, what we call the portrait of a graduate. And it's got six competencies that we want for our 21st century students to have. And a lot of them tie much more into social emotional um, competencies than they do to the um, academic ones. So for example, global empathy, that's one of our six pillars in um, the portrait of a graduate. And global empathy is really all about social emotional wellness on a global scale. Communication, again, communication skills are critical to healthy social and emotional students and beings, and they're one of our six competencies. Um, critical thinking. Again, you can't think critically if you're not socially and emotionally well. If, you're trained, if your brain is in a trauma mode, it's hard to be rational. Um, technology, that's critical for success. Um, I do this every time. Technology, critical thinking, communication, Global empathy. There's two more now, and I'm spacing. Um, oh, adaptability. Okay, again, not a. You can't measure adaptability in terms of a math score, but adaptability is critical to your success going forward, and your ability to be adaptable will be directly tied to how socially and emotionally healthy you are. 
So all of these things are are becoming elevated for varying reasons. One is because they're necessary to recover from the pandemic. One is because they should have been elevated all along. And one is because we're starting to recognize that successful students have to have um, a solid social-emotional foundation. So I'm not sure I just answered. Oh, that's my hope for what it'll look like in the 21st century in our educational system. So our last question is, if you could have just one thing come true for the CCS students and family and community, what would that wish be? Wow. Um, well, I mean, I, at the end of the day, happy, healthy um, adulthood for our students um, is what I want. I don't, um, I'm less concerned about graduate. Uh, you know, how many go to college or how many go to trade school. But, you know, I want 10 years out, I'd like to hear that our students are happy and living their best lives, whatever that is, for them. And, you know, not to uh, tie things all back to social-emotional learning, but I do think that's at the core of it. And so um, that's what I want. And I want them to have the capacity to pursue their dreams and for us to have given them that through their K-12 education. Yes. So that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us, Ms. Beckerly. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you tune in next episode when we talk with life insurance agents. Have a nice and healthy day.